this is your whole life. You're constantly trapped into that physical phenomena we're unable to explain that's called the arrow of time. And in every slice of that time, this is your entire life, your entire experience here and now. Everything else, sadly, Roberta, is inside our heads. Welcome to Hypercurious, a show that it's all about embracing changes and following our curiosity. My name is Bita Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur, and each week I unveil the most intriguing aha moments of leaders in different industries and my favorite authors, founders, and artists. Today, I'm beyond happy to welcome Mo Gaudet on the show. Mo used to be the chief business officer of Google X, the area of Google that focuses on solving the biggest world problems with technology. He's a seeker, so he had to drop out of a large corporation to start a company with a mission to make people happier. He's the author of Solve for Happy, a must-read book for the happiness seekers listening to us right now. In this episode, you learn about the equation of happiness and why we're so doomed by our high expectations. You learn how to look at life as a video game. I like that one. The importance of being present in the now, not past, not future. And how to use a happiness flow chart when you're facing a difficult situation. Let's start this conversation with Mo Gaudet. Who is Mo Gaudet? Mo is a seeker. I'm uh, spending most of my life uh, believing that I found my path, then realizing that I haven't. And so uh, I keep seeking and it's a tremendous joy. I did that in business and went all the way to what people said was the best job on the planet, chief business officer of Google X, and then realized that wasn't really what I am. So now I I, uh, I co-founded a startup that I believe is for now what I am. I did it in uh, my happiness search, in my religious and spiritual search, in my relationships, and uh, ended up uh, always realizing that there is more to be discovered. So that's, I think, in one word. Amazing. Let's discover some more things today then. (laughs) (laughs) How so? (laughs) So Mo, welcome to the show. I want to start this conversation by uh, mentioning a song that I suspect triggered a big change in your life or inspired you to change. And when you mentioned that song, I couldn't stop listening to that and observing the meaning, the deep meaning of it. And the song goes like, when I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful, wonderful, a miracle, beautiful, magical. But then they sent me away to teach me how to be sensible, logical, responsible, practical. What is the meaning of the song for you? Well, it's your life story in uh, in 60 seconds, really. Uh, you know, Super Tramp is, you know, if you, if you don't know Super Tramp and you're listening to us, you're too young, but good for you. Uh, you know, Super Tramp was, uh, you know, they had a very deep view of life was easy when we were kids. Somehow we grow out of our unhappiness, of our happiness into a state of unhappiness, which truly is the basis of my happiness theory, that happiness is not to be found, uh, it's not to be uh, achieved, it's not to be acquired. Happiness is our default state. Unhappiness is the change, the 
the unnatural state that we get in is unhappiness that has reasons for it. So there are reasons that make us unhappy, uh, such as asking us to be logical and critical and cynical and, you know, going to school and, you know, you, you, you go to school and they sit you down and they say, okay, you know, this fun, playful nature of yours. No, 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 not anymore. We don't want this. We want you to sit down here and listen to this idiot for six hours a day. I mean, not always idiots. I respect my teachers a lot, but sometimes they are, and we're not allowed to express what we feel. We're not allowed to play or not. And some of us resist. Some of us conform, and eventually we all conform, and then we become adults. And adults are supposed to be serious and grumpy and critical and complaining and philosophical and you know driven by ideology. And all of those things may serve certain purposes. Okay, uh, most of them are either centered around ego or success, and as they serve those pur purposes, uh, they end up causing us to be very unhappy because they are the reasons for our unhappiness, and that's that's your life as summarized by Super Trump in sixty seconds. So you wrote a book called Soul for Happy, and you figured out that actually there's actually an equation that we can learn and practice and find our happiness or sort of say reconnect to our happiness and dig into who we are in essence. So, so happiness is uh, thought of as that mysterious thing that, you know, you requires a therapist and a, a guru and a yoga teacher and a meditation uh, guide and 16,000 others who are experts at what they do to help you reach happiness. And, That's actually not true at all. You know, we think that happiness is very unpredictable, that it's not actually, there is no reliable, solid model for, we, for you to achieve it. And that's actually not true at all. Happiness follows an equation, okay? And the equation is very simple. It's basically, if you look back at all of the moments in your life, when you ever felt happy, you will realize that there was no common theme to what made you happy. Rain didn't always make you happy or and rain didn't always make you unhappy. A beach didn't always make you happy or unhappy. Sometimes you were sitting on a beach and having an argument with your partner, right? So the beach didn't seem to actually have that resilient, intrinsic value of happiness to it. The only thing that makes us happy or unhappy is a comparison that happens in our heads between what is happening right now, the event of your life, and your expectations and hopes and wishes of how life should behave, okay? So if, if I expected you to have an Iron Maiden poster behind you and you didn't have an Iron Maiden poster, somehow I become unhappy. It's like, what does that, where did that come from, right? And, you know, you have this other poster behind you that says you can't buy happiness, steal it. I love that. Right. But if it's still, if this is, if my expectation was that I was going to see a different thing behind you, then I would be unhappy. Why? Because happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. So that comparison is what makes us unhappy. When I say happiness is your default state and then unhappiness is caused by a stimuli, hmm? the stimuli is your brain realizing that events are not equal to expectations. Okay. You know, they're less than expectations. So if they are equal to expectations or, or better than expectations, you feel happy. Now take that and apply it to every moment in your life and to every happiness practice that you've ever been taught. And you would realize that they all conform to the same. Happiness is very simple. Hmm? 
if you can manage to get yourself to see that events meet expectations, you'll be happy. Take nature, okay? We're always happy in nature, not because nature is perfect, okay? Sometimes you're out in nature and there are flies or there are, you know, there is the, the ocean is noisy. So nobody sits in front of the ocean and goes like, oh my God, I love the view, but it's really monotonous. Can, can we play, you know, Pink Floyd instead of this monotonous sound, right? Nobody does that. Huh? Why? Because you don't expect the ocean to play Pink Floyd and you actually don't expect a tree to be vertical and you don't expect bushes to be hedged, right? You expect nature to be nature. And so whatever nature presents to you, you're happy. It's really that simple, huh? It's not what life gives you that makes you happy. It's the way you think about what life gives you in comparison to what you think life should give you that makes you unhappy. Exactly. And but when you look at uh, high achievers and entrepreneurs and game changers, right, we all have, we have to set ourselves, or we usually set ourselves very high expectations of the things we want to achieve. No, we set ourselves very high ambitions and we set ourselves very high targets, but those are not expectations, okay? So there is a big, big difference because you're spot on, huh? All achievers like yourself, my dear friend, will always ask me the question, oh, what are you saying? Should I, should I reduce my expectations to be happy? By the way, yes. If you reduce your expectations, you'll be happy, okay? You know, one of the biggest problems that are in our relationship world today, for example, is that there is too much choice. Everyone out there is with a wonderful human being in a way or another, and they're going like, okay, but do I maybe find a more wonderful human being in that shorter one or that taller one? Or, you know, there is too much choice and so too much expectation. And so that makes us unhappy sometimes. Having said that, targets and ambitions are made for us to be successful in life. Successful, by the way, is not acquiring money. It's not buying a car and it's not getting an amazing you know, vice president title on LinkedIn. Successful is that you live up to your potential, okay? So you are made with a certain configuration. If I'm successful, I would sort of utilize that configuration that I am to its best, okay? And that could be for one person, it could be that, they become a CEO or they become a footballer or, you know, like my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful ex-wife who is a computer scientist, incredibly intelligent, who decided to dedicate the first 20 years of her life to raise a couple of wonderful kids. That's a massive achievement. Massive. I would probably say, and I always say actually, that she achieved way more than I did. I became the chief business officer of Google X because she raised my two kids and raised me. Okay, massive achievement. Now, at the same time, her life changes and then she becomes an entrepreneur and she builds this health business and she's very, very successful and the kids no longer need her attention and that again is massive achievement. So ambitions for us are to set targets that are directionally motivating us to go in a certain way. So Nibel, my, my, you know, my wonderful ex is, you know, starts by setting a target of I'm going to raise the, the two most loved, most balanced, wisest kids. And she sets out to achieve that with an ambition that they will have no faults in them, that they will always be happy, that they will know everything about life and that they will both become Einsteins and Buddhas at the same time. Okay. 
Now, that's a wonderful ambition, but that's not how life is, okay? Expectation, on the other hand, is that when Aya, my, my teenage daughter, was a teenager, she was a little difficult. That's expectation, okay? Ambition is to make her amazing and take her, have, her, have a, uh, the easiest teenage of all time, and during teenage, maybe to invent something that, you know, results in world peace, Okay, but that that is ambition. Hmm? Expectation is if she's actually struggling through her teenage a little, that's why that's fine. And if if your ambition is how you judge events minus expectations in life, you're always going to be disappointed. By definition, you're always going to be disappointed. And many many business people, many many entrepreneurs, many many stock market traders are always disappointed because life never complies, right? Many parents are always disappointed because life never complies. Many, you know, us of us in our relationships are always disappointed because our ambition is that, you know, the, the boyfriend's going to be tall, handsome, uh, blue eyes, light skin and dark skin at the same time, uh, you know, muscular, but very humble. And right, it's like, what that, um, the, you know, there isn't anyone like that. And so that ambition of I, I deserve that in my life. If it's turned into an expectation, it leads to disappointment. If it's turned into ambition, it allows you to search and seek and strive. But then when life gives you something, you look at it and you say, hmm, comparing this to realistic expectations, am I doing okay? Is life okay right now? Because happiness is not excitement and fun. Happiness is that peacefulness, that calm of I'm okay with life as it is right now. And if you ask yourself the question and say, is life okay right now? Yes. Checkpoint, you've achieved happiness. You continue to strive to achieve success and ambition. Hmm. Do you think that this is related to also the feeling that you are somehow in control of the things that you can't control? Yeah, that's the other illusion. Huh? So, so uh, un unhappiness is just a, a massive set of illusions. Huh? So the reasons why we become unhappy, when events minus expectations are calculated in the happiness equation in our brain, most of the time, hmm, I say there are six grand illusions that get us to, this, to completely blur our view of events and expectations. Okay, One of them is the illusion of control. And the illusion of control is so interesting because... Again, we're supposed to strive for control. We're supposed to try to get things to behave the way we want them to behave. That's, that's a good thing. Huh? We're supposed to try and, uh, you know, get to a place on time. We're supposed to try and finish our work perfectly. We're supposed to, you know, have everyone love us all the time. You know, all of these are forms of dreamy control that never really happens. Okay, we're supposed to try when we post something on social media to make it so that it's informative and fun and people love it and so on. But that's not always what happens. Hmm? And so when we fail to recognize that, we live a very unusual life. So I'm, I, I publicly say that the reason for my depression in my late 20s was that I was a serious control freak. Okay, uh, I had two reasons. One of them, the, the top of them was serious control freakishness. I was so control freakish that my wonderful wife at the time would find me, uh, you know, bent over my, my computer trying to build a spreadsheet to calculate when we should wash whites and when we should wash uh, colors based on the average children consumption and the idea of uh, being the most sustainable for the environment. 
Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> and and, and as, as, the, as the British will say, you know, bless her heart, she would smile at me and say, oh, that's fabulous, Habibi. That's really, really good. Send it to me and I'll see how I can use it. And then she ignores me. And that was wonderful, right? Because she didn't try to, to sort of uh, detest my illusion of control. The reality, however, is as a retired control freak, I look back at it now and I realize that control freakishness gave me two issues. Okay. One was the constant effort. Remember, I'm the worst combination. I'm a businessman, a stock trader, a mathematician, and a, a geek. I develop code, right? So when you develop code, it has to compile, which means it has to be 100% correct. You know, if, if there is... Very logical, practical. <laughs> there you yes. go, right? Now, that combination may, meant that I put so much effort in, in controlling everything that was draining me like crazy. But then by, because of the nature of life, nothing was ever under control. And so I was constantly disappointed because events minus my expectations of control is always missed. Okay. I was miserable. And then I realized through many, many of life's lessons that we have no control at all on anything other than our actions and attitude. That's the only thing you can control. Totally. And that's, uh, that's even more important nowadays, right, for you to think like that because of how much we're bombarded with all of the, the world situation and all the bad news all around, right? So Alan Watts, who's a British writer, he says that we think that life is a journey with a serious purpose at the end. And then he goes, but we missed the point. Life is a musical thing. And we're supposed to dance while the music is played. And I know that you have a really brilliant analogy of life as a video game. Oh yeah! Could you tell us? <laughs> Could you tell us more? About you, you had to go there. You're the you're the <laughs> top thirty women in gaming. Yes, of course. Yes, you had to go there. So Alan Watts is not a British writer. Alan Watts is the amazing Alan Watts. Okay. So let's, let's just put that in place. Uh, if, if, if some of our listeners haven't listened to Alan Watts, it's, it's quite interesting because of the way he speaks and the era he spoke in, but definitely massive, massive gold nuggets. I, I, I believe that, uh, life, um, yeah, I wish I was more of a dancer. I am a serious video gamer. Okay. Uh, like serious to the point that I dare our listeners to come and challenge me even though I'm not at liberty to share my, my, my gaming ID because it's quite uh, gamey, uh, you know, rude and uh, provocative. Uh, but anyway, so I, I, I believe life truly is a game. It doesn't necessarily have to be a video game, but it truly is a game. And a lot of, our, of the spiritual and ancient teachings would actually imply that idea of play as a, as a lifestyle. This, is, this idea appears to be very alien to a Western-raised and cultured and conditioned person because life in the West is all about seriousness and achievements and targets and growth. And it's always something to be conquered, if you want. And, you know, news, if you don't mind me saying, life will never be conquered, okay? And the point is, in the very brief moments where you can actually conquer life for like a few seconds every now and then, uh, what normally happens is that suddenly you realize that's actually not conquering it and you realize that this is not what you want. And so suddenly there is a new 
you know, war to be waged or a new quest to be taken. And, you know, we all know that you, you get, you, you tell yourself, if I get that promotion, my life will be made and I will have achieved. And then you get that promotion. And then the next morning you go like, Oh, it wasn't really that promotion. I actually wanted that job. You know, you get that partner that you've been chasing for so long. And then she finally says, okay, okay, I'll give you a try. And then you go like, mm, yeah, I just wanted her to be a little shorter. A little shorter is what I wanted, right? And, and, and it's, you know, and we do that with everything. It's really, 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 really weird. Huh? So, so the idea here is life is always playing you in an attempt to get you to play. Okay. And surprisingly, play is associated with fun and fun is not a bad thing. So, so I, I played so Halo was the, I mean, I played a ton of games with my son as he was growing up. Halo was one that we played quite a lot. And Ali was what video games were made for. Okay. So, so when, when video game uh, companies thought about someone uh, that should like the game, it was Ali because he was legendary. Like he ran through the mazes of Halo as if it was his own feet, his own eyes. Okay. He lived, he could see it. I was playing at you know, difficult to heroic. Ali was legendary, right? We start the game. We would go on a campaign together. I'm the strategic player, okay? So what do I do? Highly Western conditioned targets, timelines, everything. And so I would turn to the right and run like crazy. And Ali would go like, Papa, where are you going? And I'm like, Ali, the end of the game is here on the right. Hmm? And he goes like, yeah, I know that, obviously. Uh, who wants to get to the end of the game? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he says, we're playing. We're playing. We are playing, he says. Huh? We're supposed to enjoy this game. And he would run to the parts where there are explosions and smoke. Okay. And I would go like, Ali, but they're slaughterous there. And he goes like, yeah, that's where all the fun is. And what he taught me, which I believe has been the biggest life changer in my life. He says, this is where you develop and grow. Okay. This is where you become a better gamer. So the idea of a purpose to life evades me, to be honest, because I believe that the purpose to life is to become the best gamer you can be, okay? There is no target in the future of, I want to have a million, uh, you know, a hundred million followers, or I want to reach a billion happy, or I want to earn this much money. That's, these are all finite no points during the game, okay, that totally are evade you once you, you reach them or we, and, and makes you make you miserable when you don't. Hmm? The idea of the game is I may become a better version of Mo if I keep trying and practicing and going to the areas where there is explosions and smoke, I may be able to use the tools I was given a little better and so become a better gamer. Funny, hmm? that means that your life's purpose has no time stamp on it other than now, because your life's purpose is to look at this moment in your life and be the best gamer you can become. Because what's the only way to become a better gamer? Is to play, is to, is to indulge yourself fully in the game and play. And while you're playing, by the way, have fun, enjoy the game, because it's a game, right? It, it, it's a game because simply you come into it with nothing and you leave with nothing. It's a zero sum game. Hmm? So everything you'll ever acquire during this life is for rent. 
Everything you'll ever achieve in, in this life is going to be taken away from you. Why are you hanging so, on so much to them? Play. And as you play, focus on one thing and one thing only, which is I want to do this as best as I can with the objective of being a little bit better next time. And that's your life's purpose. That's beautiful. And that's, that's such a presence that is required for you to be, you know, we're talking right now and the fact that we just hear just the two of us talking to each other and nothing else matters. That's what life is all about. But so many times in our days, we're not like that. You know, we are multitasking and we are doing 20 things at the same time. And even if we're not multitasking, we are actually thinking about 20 things at the same time, right? And there you go. And are we happy? So, so, so the interesting thing, Roberta, is that I look at you as we're having this conversation and this is my whole life. This is in totally my whole life. Okay, my business could be closing a deal, could be losing a deal. My, you know, uh, investments could be collapsing. My daughter could be crying or could be dancing. My entire life is this minute. Unless I am, I receive a message from my daughter saying, Papa, I need to talk to you. Okay, my life is here with you. And then if I pick up the phone and talk to her, my life for those few minutes are with her. Okay. And, and, and here is the interesting thing about presence, because once again, we sell happiness as a very, very complex product. It's not at all. As a matter of fact, our default setting, just like our default setting is happiness and we deviate from that to unhappiness, our default setting is present. I run a, a test in, you know, maybe too complex to, to do on a podcast. I call it the blank brain, brain test. And I try to show people that the only thing you can do to be present is to stop being distracted. There is nothing you need to do to become present. You need to stop doing the things that make you distracted. And if you stop doing the things that make you distracted, by definition, your default state is aware. Your default state is present. Your default say, state, by the way, because of physics and because of the way Einstein educated us about space-time and the whole idea of time slices and as we go through the arrow of time, the only, only nature of your life is this moment. You've never lived, you, you didn't live yesterday. You were not alive yesterday. You were alive today when we called it yesterday, okay? You're not going to be alive tomorrow. Hmm? You're going to be alive in a day that you will call today, okay? This is, this is your whole life. You're constantly trapped into that physical phenomena we're unable to explain that's called the arrow of time. And in every slice of that time, this is your entire life, your entire experience here and now. Everything else, sadly, Roberta, is inside our heads. And if you recognize that, huh? so, so if, if we started with a song, I'll tell you another song. Pink Floyd, one of my favorite bands of all time, in a song appropriately called Time, they say, and then one day you find 10 years have gone behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. Okay. And I, I like, like many other things, I had learned a lot from songs. And I was in a cafe and I paused the song and I said, that's actually true. My life feels like 10 years have gone behind me. Okay. And you can, you have to think about it. Huh? Are we, are we seriously in June? Is that even possible? Okay. It was January, just like yesterday. Huh? Our days uh, seem long sometimes, but our years seem very short. 
And that's for, you know, in my analysis, I found that this was for a very, very interesting reason. Because every moment you've ever registered as a real memory, as a moment that you lived, was a moment when you were present here and now. I will remember this because I'm not thinking about the other, other things. I'm not inside my head thinking about what's going to happen in an hour's time. I'm not inside my head regretting what happened yesterday. I'm with you so I can remember it. Hmm? Anything else, anything else, we're living inside our heads. We're living with a timestamp that is about the past and the future. And surprisingly, that doesn't register as living. Okay? So basically, you look back at the time between January and now, and for most of us, it felt like a flash because we were sitting in front of the media, listening to the BBC tell us what's happening in the world, and then you know, looking at the at the you know civil unrest in the U.S., and then looking at you know the the conspiracy theories around is it China or is it five G or is this all right, and thinking about what will happen if we lose our job or what we should have wanted to do if we were uh, you know not able to if we were able to travel in summer, and all of that is inside your head. None of that registers. And then you end up feeling that the entire past six months have been a week. Why? Because you lived a week and the rest, you were in your head. What a waste. How, I mean, we're talking about presence, right? And you're talking about all of those voices and these stories that our mind starts creating. And I would love for you to talk to our audience about uh, someone you know very well, who's called Becky. <laughs> my Becky. My Becky is my brain. So I, I talk to my brain as a third party, and I actually talk to her, okay? Uh, and, and the reason I call her Becky is one of my best friends when I explained uh, to one of my best friends that your brain is not you. Your brain is actually a third party. Uh, the next week, she was having a coffee with me, and she was saying something that I found really weird. So I said, where did that come from? I mean, this is really weird. And she said, oh, yes, I'm sorry. Becky told me. And I was like, who's Becky? And she says, my brain, Becky. And I said, like, why do you call her Becky? And she said, she was the most annoying girl in school, right? So she was the one that always told me things I hate about myself. And, and isn't that what our brains do? So I call my brain Becky openly, okay? And I talk to Becky. And Becky, uh, because I see Becky as a third party, hmm, Something incredible happens to your life when you when you realize that it's not I think therefore I am it's I am therefore my brain thinks. Hmm? Suddenly, you start to treat your brain and the thoughts in your head as a third party. So, if your friend in school Becky told you something annoying, you wouldn't have to obey, you wouldn't have to listen. You can actually debate hmm? and believe it or not, you can literally tell Becky to shut up, like. Come on, Becky, why do you have to be so negative all the time? Have you done that to one of your friends before? Right? Do it with your brain. And so when I see my brain as a third party, by the way, there is a ton of evidence to show you huh? from, new, you know, MRI studies uh, to, of course, spiritual evidence to just simple subject-object relationships of you know, you, you wouldn't be aware of your thoughts if, if you were part of them. Right? If, you, if you were your thoughts, why would you need to talk? Right? So, so the idea of I need to be outside my thoughts, just like I need to be outside planet Earth to be able to perceive planet Earth as the blue planet, 
Hmm? I cannot see my thoughts if I am my thoughts. I To perceive them, I have to be outside of them. And tons of evidence. Huh? But the idea here is suddenly you recognize that your brain is a biological organ. Okay. And while, you know, some of our biological organs are uh, tasked with less glorious tasks, you know, such as producing urine or, you know, getting rid of the uh, residual of the food that you eat, hmm? Uh, the product doesn't seem to be very glorified. And so accordingly, nobody tells themselves I'm urine. Uh, for some reason, right? Yeah, for some reason, your your brain has the biological function in computer science, which is to collect data from all of the sensors, right? Which are your eyes and ears and senses and so on. And then construct a concept hmm, that is um, presented to you for, you know, for you to make a decision. Okay, so you you could look at the at the clock now, and then your brain will say, "Oops, okay, we're you know, uh, how are we doing on time?" Hmm? That doesn't mean your brain is telling you stop the podcast right now. It's just saying, "Hey, by the way, you know, be aware of the time." Now, when those practical things come to our to, to our heads, they don't make us unhappy. Okay, but then when our partner comes from work on a Friday and they uh, seem a bit stressed and they don't, you know, treat us the way we would like them to treat us, we suddenly ha- somehow may start pre- building concepts in our brain that say, oh, he or she doesn't love us anymore. Okay. And, you know, because he doesn't love us anymore, he's going to leave us. And because he, if he's going to leave us, then we're going to have to go back on dating apps. So I freaking hate dating apps. You know, I prefer not to be on dating apps. I'm going to spend the rest of my life alone. It must be because I'm fat, right? And, and you, you know, all, all of those stories, you know, Becky's very good. Becky's like, it's, it's not, you know, your brain is not trying to destroy you. It's just trying to analyze the situation, okay? Am I really fat? Does, but the, but, but the, whole, the original premise of he doesn't love you anymore comes with zero evidence behind it other than this one episode of him or her being a little stressed today, Okay. Yeah. And do, do you think that, uh, you know, that, of course, Becky is very imaginative, right? So she kind of creates all those stories and gets to conclusions that are totally not real, right? Is there a way, I mean, I'm sure there are very different tricks for you to shut up, Becky. But also, I wonder if when you follow your curiosity, and let's say to your to your example, right, instead of you assuming that your partner is behaving like that because of you, you actually go into a curious mode and ask him, are you okay? Is there something you want to talk about? How was your day? And then suddenly your curiosity is actually breaking the pattern that Becky, you know, is trying to, t- to lead you on. Yeah. The key to, to this is to understand that Becky is also your best ally. Okay. Let's call it, let's call her your best tool. Hmm? If used properly, you have inside your head something that is more powerful than the biggest supercomputer on the planet today. Okay, that may not be the case for too many years to come, sadly, but it's still, we're still the smartest thing on the planet. Now, the way I do it, surprisingly, is very simple. I follow something I call the happiness flowchart. Okay, and the happiness flowchart is really that predictable. It's a flowchart, it's a program that I run Whenever my, my, I, I feel unhappy or I feel uh, worried or I feel regrets or shame or whatever, whatever, any negative emotion. And the happiness flowchart is split into two sections. Hmm? 
One section is what I call the feminine side of the brain. It's the being side of the brain. It's the awareness part of the brain. Okay, and believe, you know, part of my next book, which hopefully is out, uh, you know, by the end of the year, I hope. But you know, the current events are delaying us a little. I speak about that. That that nothing you can never do anything correctly until you be first. So to be, you need to become aware. And the thing that in the West we have refused to become aware of is our emotions. Okay, we somehow are telling, uh, you know, have been taught, conditioned uh, that. We're not supposed to be angry. We're not supposed to be weak. We're not supposed to be vulnerable. We're not supposed, these are all bad, bad things. But we are angry sometimes. We are weak sometimes. We're vulnerable almost all the time. And the truth is, because we're not supposed to show those things in the social settings of the Western uh, uh, places we live in. I mean, you're Brazilian. You understand this is not the case in Brazil at all. Okay. So in, 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 in Brazil, you're allowed to be emotional. Okay. Sometimes it's even encouraged. And this is why, you know, some people will, I adore the Latin American culture of being, I call it warm blooded, right? They're they're pumping with life and life is full of emotions. In the West, however, we, we say, no, 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 don't show your emotions. And so a better way of doing that is to not acknowledge your emotions and maybe sometimes not even feel your emotions. I reverse that because I basically, the minute I feel that something is not right. And by the way, when your emotions change, your physical form changes. Huh? It's just like catching the flu. Huh? You get a, a sore throat or a runny nose. You can dis- you can actually distinguish from your physical signatures of the emotions that you're getting angry. Okay, your blood is boiling. You're you, you're you know you have more energy. You're uh, finding it difficult to sit down. You you know you're in an attack mode. There are physical signatures to it. When you acknowledge an emotion, embrace it. Sit with it. Do what you do to a six-year-old. If a six-year-old is scared, you don't talk logic to her, to her, right? You 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 hug her and you say, what's wrong, baby? Tell me, tell me what's going on. I tell Becky, what's wrong, okay? What's interesting is that, and every emotion, believe it or not, not just happiness, every emotion other than unconditional love follows a, an equation, okay? Fear is an equation that basically says, uh, my safety at T1, a moment in the future, is less than my safety at T0 this moment. And so I feel fear. If T0 and T1 are too close to each other, which means that the threat is imminent, I feel panic, right? It's very simple. You know, there is logic to the, to the way we feel. The challenge is Becky doesn't always follow the logic because she doesn't actually judge the event. She creates a thought about the event and that thought could be, Mo, you're talking too much. Okay? Fair. Hmm? You know, that's the event. I could verify that. But the thought would be, Mo, you're going to lose the audience as you're speaking right now. Okay? Now, once you capture that thought, I can actually have a conversation with, with Becky. Because if Becky tells me you're talking too much, that's great. Okay, what do you want me to do? Talk a little quicker or a little less. Easy. Okay. If my if my if Becky tells me you're gonna lose the audience, hmm, now I'm worried and I'm concerned and so on. I can say, what proof do you have for that? Is that true, Becky? Is it true? Believe it or not, is it true? Is the shortcut to all brain problems? Okay. So if if your brain is telling you something, hmm, 
such as we will all uh, uh, be infected by COVID-19 and it's going to reoccur uh, re and we're all going to uh, you know, spend the rest of our life in quarantine, you can actually ask and say, is that true? Is that true, brain? Where did you get that from? Do you want to do sit down and do some analysis? And you know, when I worked at Google, we said data hmm, rules everything. Data is give me data. Every future statement, by the way, in, in stock markets, we call them forward-looking statements, is not true because it hasn't happened. It's just a prediction. If it's true, can I do something about it? Okay? And if I can do something about it, I'll do it right now. If I can't, then can I accept it and make my life better despite its presence? And that's the flow chart. You feel an emotion, you trigger the flow chart, which basically says acknowledge the emotion, embrace the emotion. Okay, nothing is wrong with emotions. They are what make us alive. Hmm? Then ask yourself what thought triggered the emotion. And that's the checkmate move on the chessboard with your brain. Because once you find the thought, there is no way your brain can win. Because first you'll ask and say, is it true? If it isn't, then drop it. If it is true, can I do something about it? If you can, do it. If I can't, and you're sure you can't, then what's the point being stuck in it? Accept it and find out what you can do to make your life better despite its presence. Okay? Sounds complicated, but it happens in business all the time. It happens in our, you're, you're commuting to your work and you miss the train. You just simply follow the same flow chart. Okay? Everything. You, you just constantly are saying, can I do something about it? Is there something I can do despite its reality? This is a great uh, way for you to deal with any changes in your life, right? It's like uh, big changes, small changes, things that occur around you that you have no control of. And I, I think the, the big question that is, is kind of coming to me right now is how do you develop this deep self-awareness to detect these emotions? You mentioned about understanding the you know, how your body is, cha is changing and maybe your, your palms are a little bit more sweaty and then you feel that you are more excited or even fear, right? But I, I would guess that a lot of people in the world have never had the chance to develop deep self-awareness. How, how do you develop that to achieve the, the flowchart moment? <laughs> I've not, not had the chance is probably not the true statement. I have not captured the chance. Because, look, I know you. You're my friend. Hmm? The more I meet you, the more I know you, right? Every time we meet and we speak, I know more about you. What I ask people is, when was the last time you met you? So I, I have in my calendar, on daily basis, at least once, sometimes twice, a, a meeting that I, that's called Meet Mo. Okay, it's Mo time. Hmm? Mo time are, is time where I sit with me hmm? and I listen to what my brain is saying. You know, I told you, I, I'm a seeker. I, I, I have, you know, some people will think that I've figured things out. I haven't figured anything out. Life is so complex, okay, that it actually does deserve constant revisiting. Huh? Now, the truth is this. Huh? I, I, I'm, I'm a Middle Eastern, as you can see, beard and bald and very manly and, you know, all of my approach to life, I was conditioned as a Middle Eastern to be manly in my views about, you know, women, in my views about um, gender diversity, in my views about my own approach to relationships, my own expectations, and so on and so forth. And it took me a very long time hmm, until I sat down with me and I said, okay, let's put this on the table. 
Okay, let's talk about women. What's your view of women, right? And I'm ashamed to tell you it was not what I would have wanted it to be now that I look at it now. Hmm? But believe it or not, I sat down and I said, okay, so you think this. Oh, and you think that too. And I write them down. Hmm? And I, I, nothing is wrong. If I think it, it's true. Okay. And then I asked myself and I said, and so why do you think that way? Is there evidence that you can provide to the opposite? Okay. So for you, for example, hmm? and I say that with a ton of respect, I, for a, a long time, because I was trained to be a left-brained executive, hmm, believed that men were slightly better than women at achieving tasks that required linear thinking. I, I believed that, okay? The truth is, I was wrong. Hmm? As a matter of fact, intuitive thinking and creativity, which are all feminine quality, can sometimes solve the, the problem so much better than being stuck in linear thinking for 16 weeks. And I've had evidence of that endlessly in my career, which got me to the point where I had to pause and say, where did you get that from? Who told you in your thinking was better than intuition? Harvard Business Review, right? Are Harvard Business Review correct? Not really, okay? They gave me some aspect of a small angle of some topic, right? And by spending that time, you get to know you. So I have a simple practice. I wake up every morning, I set up my alarm to 25 minutes, and I spend time with me, okay? Not meditating, not observing my breathing, okay? Observing my thoughts, I listen. Hmm? And I have two very simple rules. Every thought is brought up, acknowledged, okay? Sometimes written down, hmm? and then I ask my brain, what else? Right? That's rule number one. So at, at the end of every thought, I don't hang on to any thought. At the end of every thought, I say, what else? Right? The second rule is no thought is repeated twice. Very simple. I start the conversation and, and Becky will go like, ah, you're going to meet Roberta today. That's wonderful. I go like, yeah, it's wonderful. I miss her. Right? And then I, and then I, you know, I go like, what else? And she says, oh, by the way, did you prepare for this meeting at work? Oh, sure, I should prepare for this meeting. What else? Aya sent you a message yesterday, remember to answer. Okay, great, I need to answer Aya. And then a bit later, what else, what else, what else? My brain suddenly realizes, shit, he's listening. I, I might as well say something smart, right? And I swear to you, it slows down. It slows down because suddenly it goes like, no, 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 I shouldn't talk about all of that stupid stuff that I talk about all the time. It's not worth the time he's actually listening. And then normally for me between minute 11 and minute 13, I, you know, I go, what else? And my brain will say, oh, by the way, I sent you a message. And I go like, yeah, but you said that before. What else? And then I get that little moment of silence and my brain goes, nothing really. That's it. That's all I wanted to talk about today. <laughs> okay. And believe it. Believe it. This simple exercise. I get two things. I get at moment 13, when I get into that silence, it's bliss that is better than anything you've ever felt, okay? And it lasts to the point that when my alarm goes off at minute 25, I normally repeat it and spend another 25, right? The second is I get to know me because those notes I wrote down hmm, are the uh, runoff network, if you want. It's the, it's the clutter that's happening inside me that needs to be re revisited and addressed. And so I look at it and I go like, where, when did you say, I mean, Ola, for example, in my team, who's very, very creative, is incredibly effective 
where did you get the idea that linear thinking is better than, right? We need to revisit that. And then I have other appointments with me normally on weekends where I go, I go digital free. So I go, I do digital detoxes on weekends. Okay. Or I sit down and I sit down and discuss those things. Look at them. Okay. And, and, and find evidence a very simple rule, by the way, when you're analyzing your brain is for every negative thought your brain tells you, you're supposed to ask it for an equivalent positive thought. Okay. If your brain says, yeah, if, if, if your brain says, you know, life is too expensive, you go like, but what else is good about life? Right. This is one thing for every criticism, your brain is supposed to find a compliment. And just by leading it to that, maybe it will fail to find it. But if you say, can you find me something good about what you just criticized? Okay. Your brain will go like, yeah, sure. A hundred things, but you didn't ask for them. Great. Great. And, and that, that's so interesting because that, that's why we sometimes go into a spiral of negative thoughts, right? Because we're just asking that from our, from our brains and that's what they're giving. And if you say, no, 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 give me something good, it will find something good because there's always something good that you could think about. I love that. And do you read it back, all of the notes that you made? I write millions and millions and millions of notes. I don't always write them, uh, read them back, uh, but I highlight the ones that deserve my time and I actually really, really go down and make them work. So, you know, it is the, the ones that are interesting, they surface to the top. And when they surface to the top, I, I take them seriously. So, so one of my favorite times of the year is my New Year's intentions time. Okay. I do, the, I do that at the new year and then I do it once a quarter, which is a week of revisiting the notes I wrote about how my year has gone, you know, and it's just a nice chat. You know, when I meet you, Roberta, I go like, so how have you been doing? And I pay attention. You say, well, this happened to the business. That's great. That happened to the business. Interesting, right? And it's just an, an interesting more time. You need me time. Call it me time. You need me time. You need to sit with you. Okay. And if you, if you, you know, one of the reasons why we struggle so much in our modern world is because we're unable to spend that time alone. So we distract ourselves with entertainment, with binge watching stuff on Netflix, with games, believe it or not. When I play games, I play very deliberately. It's not, I'm not trying to escape the world. I'm actually trying to fully immerse myself in that new world. Okay. To learn to flow to understand how I can grow parts of me in, again, in deliberate attention. And all real gamers will tell you hmm, that gaming is not about distraction. It's about focus. It's about flow. It's about being able to completely immerse yourself in a specific task like flow. It's almost like playing music without allowing your brain to get distracted. Trust me, if my brain gets distracted for a second when I'm playing on Legendary, I'm toast. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Okay. It's time to play a game. And that's a game of life. And I'm going to give you a fictional character. And her name is Olivia. And she has multiple struggles in her life at multiple times. And she needs your advice. And uh, the twist is the following. This game we're going to be playing throughout the whole series. And each guest is going to be trying to give the best advice they can to different moments that Olivia is living. And 
at the end of the series, we're going to collect it all and we're going to see how Olivia's lives pan out. I like that idea very much. <laughs> so I'll give you a background of who Olivia is. She's uh, 25 years old. She studied finance, partially because she was influenced by her parents that there should be you know, the best career for her, and partially because she thought that success equals money. And then she wanted to have money very early on in her life. So she graduated, went to, to work for a very large financial institution in the city of London. And after a while, she was she faced with this kind of challenge that she wanted to change so many things. There were so many things that she felt it was broken in the organization and she couldn't change. So it was very difficult to change. One of my guests mentioned that the best thing that she could do, so the advice to her was to understand really if that's a game she wanted to play and to understand her desires and passions and then realign her story and narrative to find the things that she's actually really good at and she could win. So she quit her job and she discovered that actually marketing was the thing that she was really strong at. Are you sure she's Olivia? Did she also have two? She's Olivia. She has two MBAs, one in marketing and, you know, and that's just, okay, <laughs> go on, go on. It's Olivia, it's Olivia. Uh, and then Olivia goes into marketing and she uh, she discovers that, you know, that's, uh, that's her passion and she's very good at that. She knows exactly why people buy what they buy and she's good at copywriting and stuff. And she gets a job in a marketing agency and she's like beyond happy. Like, oh my God, that's it. I found my dream job. That's what it was supposed to be. But then uh, she realizes that everyone around her knows so much more about her and she doesn't feel very much hurt. So she feels a little bit of imposter syndrome and sometimes feels that she's not contributing the way that she wanted to contribute to, to the organization. And then one of my guests gave her an advice to uh, actually revisit her story because she's creating new stories in her life, in her mind, that this is true. But actually, the reality might be very different. And so why doesn't Olivia actually take the opportunity to learn from the best marketers in this marketing agency? Because, you know, that's great that she's got all of these people who know more than her. So she does that. And then she decides to get a mentor. And then she totally accelerates her learning. And she's beyond happy. And she's like, oh, my God, that's it. Now I'm feeling comfortable. I'm feeling confident. And I'm learning. And I'm part of something bigger. But recession comes. So there's a massive worldwide recession. And then uh, the marketing agency goes into a very bad financial situation. And they have to cut half of the team and she sees a goes to co-found wonder look <laughs> so olivia uh olivia doesn't do anything but then her boss goes to her and say look we appreciate you so much that we don't want to let you go your role is redundant but what i want to do is to move you to a different department where there is a role for you and I think you can do a great job there. And then Olivia goes and look at that and said, oh my God, this is amazing that I didn't lose my job, but I'm back all of these years that I invested in a new career and I'm now back to finance. 
and she's very unhappy. And then she meets Mo and she asks Mo, what is the advice they would give to Olivia right now for her to feel happier? Ah, feel happier or feel more successful. To, she's very unhappy. They want, are, are, she are, needs are, advice. Are they different? I think happier makes us successful. <laughs> I, I, I will. I don't know if that's uh, you know if I have enough information, but I'll tell her honestly that she needs to do both things at the same time. She needs to do the feminine and flow with what life gave her. Okay, flow meaning go to work, discover, meet people, learn, perform, do well. Okay. But that's also, uh, you know, combined with the realization that this might not be what you want to do in life. Uh, sometimes we really, really over-index uh, our jobs, okay? Our jobs foremost are there to pay the bills, okay? And finding your passion in life uh, does not necessarily have to be within your job. So for some people, I say, yeah, if you're good at your job and your passion is not about your job, you know, maybe you're an artist or you want to play jazz, finance is a great job because you're going to leave at five o'clock. Most days are there other than months closing and that allows you to go and play jazz. Fine, right? So from one side flow, life took you to a corner where you're now in a place you don't like. The first thing is embrace the place Allow yourself to find the most comfortable seating in that place. Allow, allow yourself to find the best of you within that place. That's number one. Then number two is embrace your ability to analyze, to plan, to understand, to recognize what it is that you're really, really all about, whether that's at work or outside work. Okay? That's the masculine side of us. Hmm? Then go back. And the only way to analyze it, believe it or not, is to find the right inputs which is all about passion. I believe that I had not worked a single day in my life uh, because every job I went to was not considered work for me. I absolutely loved everything I did, okay? And you could see it in my performance. So, yeah, if you decide that work is where your fulfillment is, note, I will promise you work will never fulfill any human, okay? Then go about, back and find your passion, hmm? and see where you want to go and take the right steps over a few weeks, a few months, a few years if you have to, as long as you're okay where you are to get back to where your passion is. I always tell people, if you wake up one morning and your job is not what you like, start searching, okay? Don't jump out and don't tell yourself you're going to stay. Start searching, but don't search for a job that will give you a better title. Don't search for a job that, you, that will make, pay you, uh, you know, 100 pounds more. Search for a job that will meet your passion. When you find it, and it's clearly what will meet your passion, move. Okay. Until then, embrace what you have. Life is not always going to play to our advantage. The, the game of life has to be sometimes interesting, sometimes harsh, and a lot of the time annoying. Beautiful. What do you think of the episode today? I would love to hear your feedback. Please, let's uh, get in touch on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me pretty much everywhere. Just search for Bita Luca, B-E-T-A-L-U-C-A. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to rate us and subscribe. And if you know someone who also you think is going to enjoy it, do share it with them. It will mean the world to me. For more information and future episodes and anything that I you know, want to share about curiosity and embracing changes in your lives, go to hypercurious.fm. I'll see you there.